0: I would like to now introduce our main speaker tonight, Marianne. Hi, I'm Marianne, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, I do qualify as bulimic <clears throat> and anorexic also because I've been around OA for 20 years, and in that process I've experienced those things. And I, there's issues that are so similar yet so different. And um, when my food gets clean, the issues come up. It's almost as if it's, it's more painful Yet, delightful and exciting at the same time. Um, to qualify, like I said, I've been around for 20 years. And um, I, I want to express how how grateful I am to be able to be here tonight. <laughs> and um, um, I've, I have a 70-pound weight loss. Um, I'm currently at a four-year abstinence and a three-year abstinence from sugar. And that means um, the sh- the the things we you know, I don't wanna discuss <laughs> those things because I still run into people who who although they're very spiritual, not maybe not in this program, maybe in but still have um, I, I, I see I see my old self where, you know, that stuff was more like a love affair. And um, I call it food orgy. I don't have that anymore. And it's a miracle. It really, really is a miracle. I don't know why it, it happened to me three years ago. All I did was get up and I said, "I don't want to have sugar as a meal anymore, because what I would do is eat it, and um, then I wouldn't need anything else that was nutritious. And it was really, it was hurting me, because I, because if you have it, I had one sponsor help me about 15 years ago. I said I couldn't stop eating sugar. She said, well, just have it in your meals.' Well, I'd always eat that first, because you know how they say you don't want to ruin your meal you dinner by eating something. Well, I didn't want to ruin my dessert by eating my meal. So desserts aren't part of my life today, but there are certain things that are, are sweet enough, like a baked apple or what have you. You know, there's certain things that I've worked out, and it's taken a long time, and it's been very, very painful. I remember when I, I have a very, very clean breakfast. <laughs> I can honestly say I have, I, I have great, fully clean breakfast. Not that I can't have clean lunches and dinners but to start breakfast because I was one of those who skipped breakfast because I didn't think I was good enough to have breakfast. It all came down to how I felt about myself. And it was so painful to call in a breakfast. I'm not talking about lunch or dinner because, you know, those, that seemed different. It was the breakfast, as if my value wasn't there enough to get up and be part of of humanity to have breakfast. From a very, very young age, I was, I was overweight from the time I was born. I was called, um, my nickname was Annie. Annie, Annie, two by four, couldn't get through the bathroom door. Many, many cruel things were said by my mother, my father, my old brothers. And it just, just the way it is. That's the way they are, just the way it is. And, you know, if you look at uh, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, our book, uh, the second ch- chapter to the end of the book, Freedom from Bondage, it'll talk about, if you read that, that that chapter is etched on on my heart, the tablets of my heart, uh, regarding it's my reaction to what happened. Not necessarily what happened, but my reaction to it. No matter how painful it was, how I stand here and react today is my reaction to it. I have positive reactions and I have negative reactions. One of the negative reactions is um, I have used food to deal with the lack of ability to handle emotions. Why I have the lack of ability to handle emotions? One of the things I will blame is I didn't have proper role models. It doesn't mean I don't today because I can come here and get role models and I can search out other people. And I have the choice um, to pick out the people I want as my role models. I didn't think, it, and it took a long time. That was very, very painful because I didn't think I was good enough to have that. And, you know, that's all, when people would talk about, their self esteem being good enough, that was something I always shunned away from because it seemed it was it was like, Oh, come on, get over it already. What do you mean? We're all good enough. We're told that, aren't we? And I was I, it never dawned on me that it really is an internal feeling. And I would look at the External, And I would see things that I would have and think, how could I not feel good enough when I have a horse or I have, you know, long, thick hair? You know, I would, like, relate it to that thing. And then in my other life, oh, I have a good credit rating. I would use external things to deny the fact that inside myself I didn't feel good enough. I didn't feel good enough to follow this program. I didn't feel good enough to have friends. I didn't feel good enough to have a, um, a, a meal plan, a program, a God. And it sounds so corny to me. But I stand here saying, you know, it's the truth. It's true. It's taken me years to really realize that, whoa, I don't trust. If, if I have an, un- an uncomfortable feeling, I don't trust myself with that feeling. And that's why I would eat over it. Because, uh, you know, I had parents that didn't trust themselves with their feelings. What they would do is just shut out or have a temper tantrum. Rage and rage and rage or attach to things and not people and isolate. I learned that. I thought that was the proper way. Um, and it's taken the longest time to, to 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 knock that out. Lots of writing, lots of meetings, lots of phone calls, lots of prayer, down on my knees in the morning. Um, and I notice that when I don't feel like it, that's when I take it back on myself. And um, um, the, the thing about not feeling good enough deals with faith. You know, faith in myself. Faith that um, it's okay to come and feel uncomfortable. Because... Because that's what it is. If I'm willing to feel uncomfortable, then I can have an abstinent day. And I've been willing to feel uncomfortable. And it is uncomfortable. I'll tell you, I do not know what to say sometimes talking one-on-one to people. I do not know how to handle my own feelings when I'm sitting in a group. And recently I've realized, I've been able to give it a a name of, of anxiety and panic, and realizing that a large portion of our society suffers from that because we just don't know what to do. We feel, at least for me, I felt like there's expectations. I walk in the room and I feel like I have to meet everybody's expectations because I did not believe in myself or have a sense of self um, to feel that I had a right to even have my own expectations, and my own expectations were always way, way, way too high. And the reaction to setting too high of expectations on life, on other people, on my own family, on myself, would always create negativity and then insecurity, and then anxiety, and then panic, and then let's go to the food. Because that was the only way I knew how to to handle it. And then when food would, you know, food is not my only compulsivity. I mean, I had the spending thing, and then the too much saving, and then the, 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 the hoarding of stuff, you know, collecting every little piece of paper, cl- keeping every letter that was ever written to me, uh, whole, having all the keys on my key ring that... Somebody mentioned, to, you know, saw like what, I think it was last year. <laughs> Marian, you don't have to have all those keys. I'm like, oh, I don't. I mean, just to have somebody tell me that. Um, it, it, it's all very symbolic and very, sim- I just don't know what to do. And I have to learn. And I can't learn overnight. I have to be very, very humble and let you teach me. And it's very uncomfortable because I thought I had to know it all. Why? Um... I suppose the family of origin. I had children as parents, so the children had to take over and raise the parent. And, it, and I've heard other people talk about this. And I, I denied it. Oh no, not me. That's not me. You know, my parents were older than me. <laughs> Therefore, there's no way they could have been the child. Well, um, I have very, chi- I had very childlike parents, and um, I can give you examples. And you say, oh yeah, you have children for parents. And but. My reaction was to grow up way too fast emotionally, so i 'm finding now that I handle things very immaturely because I have to go back and be a child and I know that when i from every time I go into my my fourth steps and my ten steps it's the emotion of a two year old a four year old a six year old going back to those emotions and it 's like, oh my god, it's just so uncomfortable that I just you know want to shut it off, shut it off and and not not deal with it." But that's part of it, too, because I don't think I know anybody in this program that's coming here. And it was a very comfortable thing for the whole walk. (laughs) You know, they get up and they say, it's not perfect. Um, Well, we have perfect sugar after. (laughs) Because I can honestly say I haven't eaten a donut in three years. And that's why I don't know. You know, Okay, there has to be a guy. How I got here, there has to be a guy because I'm a a person that gets lost knowing even where I'm going. I know how to get here. It's just the way I'm programmed, wired, or what have you, and and so that that's another um, God shot in my life. And to stand up here and talk, you know, the God the God shots and the miracles is it's like, is that corny? No, because in and of myself, I would be eating you know a dozen donuts a day or what have you. I don't want to give that all that power, but um, you know, that just isn't my life today. Um, experience strength and hope. I came from a lot of shame, a lot of pain, a lot of abuse, a lot of emotional abuse, a lot of uh, isolation, a lot of, of um, crime, a lot of, I, I lived in the inner city of Detroit growing up. Um, very very painful and I can make the outside look good. And I can pretend that those things didn't happen. But the pain and the reaction to my life, I'm not feeling sorry for myself today. But if I don't look at it, I will react in a pity, feeling sorry for myself. Um, the truth of the matter is, is if I am not on top of it on a daily basis, I will want to go back to food. And when, if I don't deal with the emotional part, the part from freedom from bondage, the writing, the calling, the connecting to other human beings that share the same types of hopes, dreams, pain as I do, I go into other addictive behaviors, codependency, net extreme negativity. I can I can go into another world that that's like just you know take a gun and shoot me now you know put me out of the misery because it's not even you know what's this life worth living for. So OA has given me role models to learn that life is worth living, no matter what pain I ever went through or whatever pain anybody else here. You know, I am I was told that there's basically six stories. Stick around, you'll hear yours. Which one is yours? I, I was told that from the first, you know, first three meetings I went into. And, um, and I always thought I was uniquely different. And as I sat around in the program and the meetings, I found out, wow, I relate to just about everything everybody has to say and uh, people come from all walks of life. They, they come from parents who have loved them and, and were not children. They've come from parents who weren't there, you know, even in the physical. I had two parents who were there in the physical. So in my mind, you know, I, I, in Detroit there was kids that didn't even know who their parents were. They didn't even have shoes. You know, I, I mean, I experienced extreme poverty with the kids next door and, and you know, the people of the next door, the lady was a prostitute with six kids that she didn't even know who the father, you know, the father, you know that, that type of... Of situation where I knew my parents, so I thought I was like one up, and uh, um, these these are my this this is my reality and my truth. And when I deny it, it makes me a harsh person. When I deny it, it makes me an isolated person. When I deny it, it makes me put on ten pounds. And when I look at it and say, "Gosh, I'm going to look at the shame head on. I'm going to look at the the embarrassing." the embarrassment that I had walked through head-on. And I'm going to look at how uncomfortable it is to be around people because of the isolation I lived through. And, you know, there was a corner store down the street from when I was a kid. And I was a latchkey kid, so it was very easy for me to go and, you know, buy candy and junk food. And that's basically what I lived I lived on as a child. I didn't have the mom there making the, the meals. When meals were made, it usually was on a Sunday. Um, and so those were things I didn't learn. Some people come from homes where their moms made meals or it was provided for. It was an important thing. I had to learn this is important, to, to plan meals, and it's important. If you don't, it, I noticed that if I don't eat, I get real depressed and melancholic and <laughs> suicidal. Um, uh, um, the negativity. So we need to eat, too, and that's, you know, the anorexia thing. Um, and, um, and I, I mean, the whole food issue. You know, they say it's, not, it's about the food, it's not about the food. Take the food away. You're still sitting there with yourself, as uncomfortable it is as it is. I think one of the most exciting things in my life is to walk through the uncomfortableness, the ickies. And just, oh, my God, I'm actually feeling this. This horror in my life, I'm actually feeling it without denying it, because it's very easy to de- deny it. I, I, we all grew up in a society where so you can be anything you want to be. And I believed it. So I would go out and you know, I, I have a lot of successes behind me, but I never felt that I believed you know it was like it never any value to it because of, of, of the thing inside that I ran from. Um, that's my experience. My strength comes in God in prayer and writing and the connections I've made through Overeaters Anonymous. From there, that strength has carried over into my outside world, too. Um, New career plans, um, how I interact with people, how I can confront and talk one-on-one with people. Um, I can be there for people. I can be a good listener. Um, It's not all about me. I I need it to be all about me. I can come to a meeting like this and talk about me. Um, And that's important, too, because when we when i had to be an adult at such a young age i still need to have childlike attention i really really do i have animals that you know just adore me so i i, I eat that up <laughs> instead of food i eat that attention you know to have a little dog wiggle at you and you know and have a cat that needs your attention to me that is part of nurturing that, that, that inner child that still is real. And I know I've I've stood you know, come in the meetings, I've sat in, in the meetings, heard people talk about inner child, and I just, oh, I don't want to talk about that stuff. Why do people have to talk about that stuff? And now, you know, I, I don't really go down that road, but I can say that, wow, I'm, I react in childlike manner. I, uh, it must be true. It must be true. So I nurture that. You know, I take naps now. Um, I make sure that I feed myself. <laughs> what? I've come into these rooms, and there's compulsive eaters who've never missed a meal. Well, I'm not one of those. I'm one of those who starved for three days. I was put in the hospital and had IVs put in my arm after starving myself for a week, okay? But I'm also one of those who was 70 pounds heavier, you know, and and had those days where once I started eating, I couldn't stop. That's why breakfast was so painful. Because I wouldn't start eating until 2 o'clock, you know, because my next morning when I would wake up, that's when I was going to lose 50 pounds overnight. I had that insanity going on, okay? <laughs> so as long as I was starving, and this was, my, this was my behavior probably from the time of 7 years old, because I was teased and put on, you know, like you got to, uh, you know, like all the problems in my family were because I was a fat kid, a little fat girl. And so if I starved myself, I was going to end up losing weight. Because I wasn't shown how to eat. and I'm not feeling sorry for myself because I come here and I'm shown. You know, I call up a sponsor and they're like, you know, let's call your food in. Oh, I don't know how to do breakfast. I actually had a sponsor teach me how to make breakfast. Breakfast was so painful. Three, even three years ago, I broke down and cried after eating breakfast. Because it used to be when I started eating, I didn't stop after that. So painful. How could... How could that be so painful? I don't know. It just is. It's my experience. I don't, I don't know why it's so painful. Why can't we stop eating? Why do we have to destroy ourselves with food? Why? I don't know. Humans are strange. I don't think there's any other animal that does that. Oh, birds pick their feathers off if they're caged. Okay? Maybe we can relate. Maybe we all feel like caged birds and we're picking our feathers off or putting more feathers on. I don't know. I just don't know. But I don't know of any other animal that destroys themselves the way humans do you know maybe we're really not animals you know if we go on the Christian or the Judeo-Christian I was listening to that type of program coming here anyway and, and saying that our country is basically that you know let's not, not deny it we're spiritual people but this is what we're basically raised with you know and in Rome Jews the Romans so um, they, you know some people say well we're not really animals we're humans we have a soul okay but maybe that's the difference we destroy ourselves is that what having a soul means but because I don't know why I don't know why the food was so painful. I don't know why it still is. A lot of times, not all of the time, you know, because, um, but the, the breakfast was a big deal, okay? I, I, like I said, I had a sponsor teach me how to make a breakfast. Okay, now put the, and then she'd get on the phone. Okay, now now scramble the egg. <laughs> now put the salsa in it. It's going to taste good. And it tastes good. I didn't have a right and have any value. Why would I even care about taste? I am the blandest cooker. Because I don't deserve a taste, you know. And I never was a baker either because my food wasn't about enjoyment. It was about shoving it in as fast as I could. It didn't have to be any type of quality. Today I have quality. Today I have quality. Um, And and that's painful. Why? Because I never felt valuable enough and good enough. And when people would talk about that, I would say, oh, they're so full of it. What's that about? Now I can say, you know what? Really, truly, in my heart of hearts, I didn't feel good enough. Why? You know, people tell you you're good enough. You're good enough. You're good enough. You know, it's told to you all the time. Yeah, but to believe it. And today, um, I went to a meeting this morning, and they were talking. It's all about belief. Work on your belief. Work on your belief first. The belief that you this program is valuable to you. Believe it. The belief that you can do it, too, through a power greater than you and then then, then my other the, that little negative thinking the committee people talk about committees what's that you know there was even a time where I says, I don't know what they're talking about well today I have the distinction of what my committee is and it's that panic it's that voice it's that it's that thing that makes me feel like I'm all alone in the world and strange how could we look here we're all here we're not alone this is a whole room full of people this is Los Angeles County Really, really populated. But how would I ever How would I ever feel alone? Sometimes I actually like being stuck on the freeway because I don't feel alone. It's like, I'm not alone. Yeah. It's that, you know, the disease makes me feel yeah. so out there. And um, I'm glad for that today because I now can have self-talk. The committees can go and I can talk to myself and say, hey, come on back. Come on back. You know, I remember people talking about this and thinking they were really nuts. Now I'm talking. And, um, oh, geez. <laughs> um... I lost my train of thought, but that's okay. Um, where am I going? Strength. Strength comes from what I got from here. My hope is in this program. My hope. In it, hope is in God, um, because it just is. I learned that through through here. The first meeting I ever walked into, I believe, because I wouldn't listen to anybody else. Um, I come from a, a place where, if you're needy. It's a sign of weakness. If somebody gives you things, it's a sign of weakness. So I don't need any help. And I still have that problem. You do when I'm going through a hard thing. It's very very hard for me to reach out to to more than one person. I always think one person has to take care of it, and if they can't, then something's wrong with me. Well, it's not true because no one person can be our all in all. That comes from spouse, parents, sibling, sponsor, what have you. And and and, and um, I've learned to be there for myself. And one of the ways to be there for myself is to start the belief. The belief. It's all about belief. I mean, there was this this. Um, the meeting I went to today was so powerful, and, and if you can believe it, you can make it come true. If you can believe that OA worked for other people, it will work for you. If you can believe that other people really do experience God's presence, then you can experience it, too. If you can believe other people really gave up food and lived through life, dealing with their feelings, then you can believe it, too. If you can believe that other people had horrible childhoods and have walked through the pain of it, and, let, and, and learn how to deal with it, they learn that it was their reaction to what happened to them, and now they can learn new reactions and see that they're not alone, that there's a whole world out there of people who have experiences just as bad, if not bad, then um, you can have it too. If you can believe that you can be in the presence of people who weren't as wounded, and you know how uncomfortable that can be, because jealousy pops up, envy pops up, feeling sorry for myself pops up, feeling uncomfortable, feeling I'm going to say the wrong thing pops up, feeling, you know, like, oh, they had the money, they had the love, they have the world travel, they have, the, you know, the Mercedes or what have you or the right neighborhood, that pops up, and it's panic city. It is panic. If I can believe that other people can sit in the room and talk to these people and use them as role models, use their positive thinking, use their energy to better their lives and I can have it and you can have it too it it comes into belief if you can believe then once you can then start trusting your own self too that oh wow I do feel uncomfortable I believe I feel uncomfortable wow I I just didn't use food to deal with life I can believe that there's another way of handling life than using food and the other little things that pop up when you don't use food (laughs) you know like when you start dieting and you still don't want to deal with your emotions, and then other compulsions come, like, you know, scrubbing the bathroom floor with a toothbrush type of compulsion, soap operas, computer games, uh, spending, uh, gossip, you know, these things where we focus on others, codependency, um, um, you name it, what, you know, fill in the blank, because uh, truly, those things, you'll be challenged, and, um, Like I said before, the walk in this program is very simple, but it's not easy. I didn't say that before, but it's it's not easy for anybody. It's simply written out, but it's not easy. The uncomfortableness of walking in, and if you're codependent like I am, you're going to feel everybody's pain and think you caused it. Then you're going to feel you're responsible for it, and that you have to deal with it and take care of it. I had the hardest time walking in these rooms and feeling I had to fix everybody before I had a right to be fixed or helped. Today, I learned how to shut that out. How? By walking through it. By sitting there and and I had to realize it. That was the hardest one because I denied it for so long. Going back, I remember my train of thought. I was going to talk about the first meeting I ever walked into. Like I said, I, I, I was quite hard-headed and still am and, and um, have a hard time taking direction and listening, but I'm better than I ever was because I can say I'm sorry and um, I can see my part in it. Why? Because of this program. So that means I can see my part in it when I'm dealing with colleagues and other in, you know work situations. And I used to hate work. Now I actually love going to work. How could that be? Um, I chose jobs where I could hide and isolate. Now, I, when I feel that hiding and isolate coming on, I reach out to other people and I ask how they are, what kind of animal they have, what their favorite color is, how their day is. Um, if they're negative, I don't get into the negativity. I just recognize them and I try to edify them and build them up, build their character up, f- pick out a positive thing. These are new things that I learn, you know, instead of you know, going into the deep, dark places. I don't want to be in deep, dark places. Deep, dark places make me not love my husband. Deep, dark places make me think that somebody else can fix me and be better than him. Um, I'll go back. The first meeting I ever went to, there's a reason why I keep mentioning uh, nobody could tell me. Um, I was literally dying from um, eating and throwing up. Literally. I, I mean, I was over 200 pounds, but I just couldn't stop eating. I would be driving on my way to work. See, a day-old bakery, that was my, my thing. And um, do damage, major damage, not even show up for work and call. You know, if I had a, sh- a ride pool, they never even got picked up. It's pretty sad. <laughs> pretty sad. And um, it was about 10 o'clock in the morning, and I'm literally, my heart is pounding out of my chest. I'm laying in my bed after doing my own personal damage. You know, the strange animal that I am, um, and knowing that I was going to die. I'm literally going to die. And I started praying, and I heard this voice say, Call Overeaters Anonymous, like an angel voice. I didn't know what it was at the time. I thought I was hearing things. I was. But um, I thought, what? I never even heard of Overeaters Anonymous. I heard of AA, but not Overeaters Anonymous. And I looked in the phone book, and there was an Overeaters Anonymous. And I'm like, (laughs) oh, there's voices in this room. And um, I went to a meeting that night. And in that meeting, somebody spoke about God. I was 22 years old, and I thought, God, God's old-fashioned. I don't need God. All I need to do is lose weight, and I won't have any problems. This is how hard-headed I was. Somebody else spoke about how they were married, but there was no way they would have their marriage if it weren't for this program. I'm thinking, oh, that's a bunch of bunk. I'm just overweight. I wouldn't have any problem in a marriage if I I were thin. You know, I really, really believe this, because from the time I was little, it was put on me. You know, the whole focus was fat. And then the third thing was that somebody said that they wouldn't be able to hold a job if it weren't for Overeaters Anonymous. And I thought, that's just really, really silly. Because if my only problem is I'm fat. And if I were thin, um, I wouldn't have any problems at all. So I didn't go back for about three weeks until I hit a wall, emotional wall. And then it was like, as soon as I went back, I'll, you it know, just started pouring out. And um, um, that was my experience. And I'm really, really grateful that my first meeting was that powerful and I, you know, sometimes when new people come in and I don't feel the meeting is as powerful as mine because it was earth-shaking shat- for me, um, not at the time, but after I walked out, the voices came. The voice of reason came, and um, I haven't been able to leave since. There's been times where I've had blocks where I haven't come to OA because of work, um, being out of town, being in a situa- place where, they're, they're, you know, we're blessed here. We have meetings. I was up north um, with my husband for three weeks. They had two meetings a week, on, uh, ten o'clock in the morning, spread out. There's three people there. Um, Arizona, there were uh, we were in a small town, living there for three months, and no meetings, none. And um, so I, you know, hit some AA meetings and um, um, Al-Anon meetings, and you know, other compulsive. It, it, it doesn't matter. Whatever, I can sit in any meeting because I. I relate. Now, there is distinctive differences between the drug, the alcoholic, and the food. You know, the food people tend to be a little more critical. (laughs) You know? And then, you know, there was a joke I heard, why do we, Al-Anons, a lot of us are married to alcoholics. Why do Al-Anons make love with their eyes closed? Because they can't stand to see people having a good time. (laughs) And so control issues come up. Control issues. Yeah, I, I want to control the air. I just have this vision of stopping the world from spinning, you know. And and, and um, other controls. I have this room full of boxes, and you know, soon as all those boxes are organized and put away, then my life will be perfect. At least I have it contained in one room now. And then when the house gets painted, my life will then be perfect. <laughs> I won't have any problem with people. People will not bother me anymore. I don't know exactly what to say. I'll never offend anybody, and nobody will ever offend me because my life will be perfect. I live in this in- immature type of thinking, and the way to come out of it, I hear other people talk about it, and I thought, oops, I'm like that, too. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm just like everybody else. Okay. Um, I have a- anything else I want to say really fast, and I know I'll think of it once I leave. <laughs> I always do. Um, experience strength and hope again my hope comes in this program my hope comes in um, three meals a day nothing in between my hope comes oh exercise exercise what a miracle why did anyone ever tell me it feels so good strength being strong oh people have <laughs> I just never listened um, my husband says <laughs> I have told you okay <laughs> it feels good it really does get out and walk <laughs> it feels good Move. I have a heart monitor. I put on. It keeps my, me thinking, realizing that I have a heart because my mind wants to go into what they're doing, what they're doing. Oh, they said and he said and she said. And oh my God! I, I I didn't wear it tonight because I just didn't you know put it on. But um, it has a watch, and then you put this monitor around, and it makes me know when I'm you know getting my heart up for 30 minutes up high to the healthy healthy place, and uh, I feel really really strong because I do walk a lot and. Um, and dance. I'm really getting into dancing. Um, the control, the control issue in me wouldn't want to move. Wouldn't want to get up and move because it's like, oh no no no. Someday, I'm gonna hire a trainer and then really, you know, in three days, be in tip top shape. <laughs> I have a size eight shoe instead of a size ten shoe. You <laughs> know, nine and a half. I mean, insane things like this. Um, you know, th- there's this, there's this. Um, Cathedral in New York City that I guess they started build it started it was caught on fire a couple months ago and that's where they had a lot of the funerals from the people who died in 911. and then it caught on funeral, but they still had the Christmas ceremony there. And what really fascinated me about this cathedral is that they started building it about 120 150 years ago and they've never completed it. It's never completed it, and I don't think they ever plan on it being completed. And I really look at my life is that way. My sick thinking thinks it should all be done now. Why should he live now and put me in a box? You know, it's like, you know, it's like all I'm waiting for is that day. But I have found out that life is in the details of everyday living. The details of getting up and making my oatmeal and scrambling that egg. And feeding the birds, you know, and, and, you know, picking up the crap for my dogs. You know, that just every little detail of life. That's where I try to find it. My disease wants to take me out into perfection of, of, of um, when everything is right, you know. But, you know, as, as, as the wheel spins and life ter- goes, new things pop up. If I don't learn to deal with them now, how do I intend to learn to deal with more mature things? You know, finances, investments, retirement, the things of, 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 that take care of me in the physical. You know, um, those, those things are very, very important. So I look at that cathedral. It's never completed Always being always work every day, I try to work on myself. When I find myself not learning something every day, I know that that control, my disease is popping back up. it doesn't go away. this I know now that this will never ever go away. It'll be a constant battle. you know i will I will never graduate from Overeaters Anonymous. I just never will. Um, I used to think I wanted to, but that kept me isolated and distant from people. and um, and I do know that. On a two-year increment, I've heard from other, from other you know, psychologists or what, studies that it takes people about two years until they can't handle what pops up. So they'll switch churches, they'll switch organizations, they'll, they'll move geographically, uh, change jobs to, because the emotions are so hard to deal with. So if you can make it through here two years, eating or not eating, lying or, or being honest, you're going to go through some real heavy-duty emotional things where you just sit here and you'll feel like you hate everybody. But what you can do is realize that you're actually feeling the hatred you had for yourself. Because these are my experiences. Like I'm just telling you my experience, strength, and hope. And these are things I've heard other people talk about. And um, I've been to a lot of OA meetings in in the Valley, in the South Bay, in um, some in Northern California, Michigan. And these are the things people talk about. But we have a lot of recovery here. It just It's just... We have the best here. And my first meeting was um, in the South Bay when over, in Torrance. I lived in Torrance. It's amazing. God brought me to Torrance, and that's where OA was started. It's now based in New Mexico, but it originally was in Torrance, California. And it seemed like there was a meeting on every corner, and the rooms were packed. And it was if you walked in, you got abstinent. <laughs> you just did. I think I lost 20 pounds in the first month. And... Um, it, it, you couldn't help but feel that energy. We have that at Wednesday nights in the Valley, if you go from the 6 o'clock to the, to the 945, because they have the A, B, and then, you know, not just to plug that, but I, it's like, oh, my gosh, this is that, that experience that we had 20 years ago. It was really, really amazing, and we could have that again. But um, um, there's just a lot of programs challenging us, and it's okay. I, I don't put anything down. It's just, you know, a new day today. Um, I believe I'm almost done. Um, I guess I have a room for a couple questions. So, if there's any. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> okay. Yes, you're welcome. a compulsive overeater. It's good to hear your stories. Earlier, you, you sort of skimmed over, but you talked about making a major career change or thinking about making a major career change. How do you use the program? To deal with either contemplating or making or having change of okay the question was is how do you use the program to make a change to even contemplate a change a major change and, and you're using the reference of a career a career change first of all I didn't believe it was possible when I first came in I always thought I had this problem and I was always gonna ha- and I had to fix it myself but hearing other people talk about making career changes. And I used to think, how did OA help? How did OA do that? What happened is I started believing in myself. And I started, you know, I believed in God and myself. I believed in other people. I saw other people. And um, and and, and all of a sudden, I realized that I no longer wanted to feel, I, I used my old job as a hiding place, a place to shut people out in isolation. That was my reaction to what happened to me as a child. I didn't know how to interact with people. So I chose a place where I could be just that. OA made me interact with people, deal with my own demons, um, um, comics, see the same people. Also, we're talking about emotional things instead of just trying to, you know, put on airs or be somebody we're not. You know, it's like people come here and we pour it all out. And you know, being confronted by sponsors, my sponsor, my sponsor. Um, and all of a sudden, one day you wake up and you say, "I can try something different." And that's scary too, because then when you go to try something different, all your excuses hit you in the head, and then you have to use the program. It's all basic, simple, prayer. Writing, deal with it, confronting it, talking about it, moving forward. And making, really finding out what you really want. Because a lot of times we're doing what other people want. And that's the codependent part. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. Okay, anything? Anybody else? Hi. You're welcome. What is your writing regimen? Okay. She asked what my writing reg- regimen is. Three pages a day. Three pages. I got that from the artist's way. You know, I know that, you know, I'm plugging another book, but I had to simplify it where it's just basic, and I read two pages a day from the big book. Um, a sponsor gave me that. I'm compulsive. I want to read the whole book in two two weeks, right? The big book, of chapter. Oh, if she assigned me two, two pages. I got to do two chapters. <laughs> well, I gave that up. I gave that perfection up, and I do that with my sponsors, too. I go just two pages a day reading and three pages. That's it. That's it. And 15 minutes cleaning your house. That's it. Stop after 15 minutes. Set a timer. Because, oh, no, no, it's not all going to get You know, nothing gets done. <laughs> nothing gets done when you come with, with your list. With my list, nothing got done. Nothing. It piled up. And then that was horrible. And then the food came. All right, any other Can you talk a about um, working in the steps and how that affected your life outside of the food? Ooh. <laughs> um, the steps are for basic. Uh, he wanted to know how working the steps and how it affected my life outside of the food. Um, the steps made me realize that I will have issues and confrontations every day of my life. My disease with the food thought it should be perfect. And when everything gets right, then I'll never have to deal with the steps again. And once you work the steps perfectly, you make a complete, perfect fourth step, and then give it away, and then do it ten- Then you're free, and everything's fine. Because you hear people talking about, oh, I did my fourth step, you know. Everything's fine now. But that's not my experience. <laughs> not at all um, as soon as I think everything's fine boy I'll tell you it pops it's re- it rears its ugly head I'll deal- then what, what I have found that happens with me is I take on other people's faults and I think they're mine and then I try to fix those and I get real confused I, I have a hard time trusting what I go through the steps have had, helped me to um, dis- give the distinction to what's going on and that's what happens to me and when an issue comes up, I work the steps through it. it. And you don't have to make it, you know, five pages and five chapters. Three pages is enough on a situation. Three, you know, you can write big and you can get a little book. But give yourself, give yourself three pages, you know. Sometimes 13 or 14 pages will come out. But, you know, at least the three pages. And Because it, it, then it's a daily habit. You know, and then I'll, if, if I'm in a place where I can't pray, I at least get down on my knees for ten, five minutes And force myself to stay there. And I have one of those little kneeler things that you work in the garden with. It's right underneath the bed. Pull it out. Just throw myself down there. And even say, God, I don't even feel your presence. I must, you know. When that happens, I just imagine this cloud is over my head. And, you know, I just don't feel the presence. And that's part of being human. You know, I can't be that. And I, I accept it. It's hard to get there. It was very painful. It always dealt with pain. Because I always felt I had to do Better do more, because I didn't deserve, I wasn't good enough, and if you're not good enough, you got to work twice, if you're from the ghetto, you got to work twice as hard to get out of the ghetto, if you're from, you know, the wrong side of the tracks, then you got to prove yourself, well, you just, you don't get to go and, you know, party, you got to work, 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 So um, workaholism is part of my the disease, too, why? Because as long as I work, I don't have to deal with anybody else's emotions, feelings, nor, nor mine, so, any, one more question, I believe. You said you're four years absent and three years absent from sugar. Mm-hmm. What was the sugar like your first year, and how did you decide it was necessary to get rid of it? Okay, I'm four years absent, three years from sugar. What was the sugar like my first year, and how did I get rid of it? Um, one, my job was in catering. That's how I kept isolated from people. And um, it's very easy to do because when they make criticisms of the food, you take it all personal and shut people out and just... I just would destroy myself with it. What would happen is, as I would nibble breakfast, lunch, and dinner with high sugary substances to keep my energy going. And I noticed just by having distinctions of the meals, you know, I I had breakfast that that stopped. I had distinctions of meals, but it was okay to put whatever was in it. You know, my food abstinence was very, you know, I had to let it be as long as I had the three meals with nothing in between. And that distinction helped me. I lost 20 pounds. Because, you know, my, my weight went, you know, I, I gained some weight back. And um, um, coming to meetings, you can't do it all perfect. I was able to be honest enough, open enough, willing enough to expose myself and saying I'm still using sugar because what happened was is I went to some howl meetings and people said, I've been off sugar for nine years. I thought they were lying. I really did. I thought there's no way on God's green earth that anyone could not not eat a cookie. There's just, I thought they were lying and then I had the denial problem that I didn't have a sugar problem. So it took that first year to realize, ooh, I have a sugar problem. That's what it was. It was basically denial, thinking that I really wasn't eating what I was eating. So, That's, I guess that'll wrap it up and thank you for letting me be a servant. Thank you.